Well, good morning. It is great to be here. As Greg said, my name's Kevin. I'm the pastor of student ministries here. So it's a, it's a privilege to be able to open God's word with you this morning and, uh, and, and speak what's kind of been on my heart lately. Uh, I want to start with a question. What makes an athlete the GOAT, the greatest of all time? Now, the debates rage on and on, and, and you can go back and forth probably endlessly on who is the GOAT, on what makes an athlete the greatest of all time. But I want to ask another question. What makes a person great? I think of all the people I could think of, George Washington fits into this category of a great man, one of the greatest presidents that we've ever had. He was a real man, though, and sometimes I think we forget that. I think we forget that he was a real person because he's been elevated to such a high status. We see him on our dollar bills as that kind of grumpy, crotchety guy with a wig, and we think that's who George Washington was, but he was so much more. He was a real person. He walked the earth, and he lived uh, a real life. But if we traveled back to the, the peak of his military career— uh, right after the, the Revolutionary War was won, we would see him doing something that I think puts him in that category of great. We would see him doing something that's so counterintuitive, so against our natural impulse as human beings, but that puts him in that category and has far-reaching implications for our country. If he hadn't done what great leaders do in that moment, I think the vision for what America could be would have vanished right there on the spot. Because George W. understood a principle. He understood a principle that we're going to talk about this morning that is incredibly important when we talk about who is the greatest. He, said, he, he understood that the greatest of all is the servant of all, and that how we leverage the power and the influence that we have matters. It really does make a difference. So what do you do with the power and influence that you have? How do you leverage the power and influence that you have? We're going to look at uh, John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17 this morning. A familiar passage, but if you want to turn there, that's where we're going to be reading from. And we're going to see what true greatness looks like in a powerful display of selfless and sacrificial service. Let's, let's, jump, into, let's jump into that text um, with a little bit of context, before I start reading, we've got to understand that it's, it's the Jewish Passover time, okay? And the disciples have made preparations for a, a customary meal that they're going to have with their rabbi, teacher, and friend, Jesus. So they've gotten everything ready. It, we're good to go. But uh, you can picture maybe the food just being served, and there's an awkward pause. Like, something that really needs to happen before they can enjoy their meal hasn't happened yet. 
and the disciples are waiting. They're, they're kind of surveying the scene. They're looking around. They're, uh, there's no servant present to do this task that we need to have done before we can enjoy the meal. And they're not going to do it. The disciples, if you could, you could look back into Luke chapter 22, and you would see the disciples having this very same kind of goat conversation. Who's the greatest of all time? Who's going to be elevated to the spot right next to Jesus when he's enthroned, when he takes his, his heavenly position? And so it's certainly not going to be the disciples that offer to do this task. But the stillness is broken. And, and, and in this kind of tense moment, Jesus gets up from the table, stands up, and he presumably, to the disciples, they're thinking, okay, he's going to teach. That's what he does. Jesus teaches, so he's pushing back from the table, about ready to teach us something. But they are not expecting this kind of lesson. I guarantee you they were not expecting this. Listen to what happens. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This is crazy. He lays down his outer garment starts pouring water into a basin and begins washing his disciples' feet. Imagine how strange this would have felt, how strange this would have been for the disciples. Imagine, like, you have, you're having an honored guest over to your house. I mean, uh, think celebrity status. You've prepared the meal, you've gotten everything ready, and you welcome them into your home uh, the normal greetings, the normal pleasantries, you, you show them into the dining room, and they say, oh, hold on a second, hold on, uh, can you show me where the bathroom is? Of course, of course, it's right down the hall, take a right at the end, and you're there. And then you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you realize they're a long time in the bathroom, what's going on? And then you hear a sound that you are not expecting, the sound of scrubbing, and you walk down the hall, realize they've forgotten to shut the door, look into the bathroom and realize that they are scrubbing your toilet. No, you say, no, 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 this is not, this is not the job for you. Don't be scrubbing the toilet. Like, give me that, give me that. I, I, I've already cleaned, I've already made the preparations. This is not the job for you. You're my honored guest. This is what the disciples are feeling. They've just had Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, wash their feet, do one of the most base, menial, lowly acts of service you can think of. And it's silent. Have you ever been there? Have you ever received help from somebody and just been like, ah, this is kind of embarrassing? Like, I, I, don't, I don't even feel comfortable receiving this kind of help. 
there was a time I was having a plumbing crisis in my house, and I don't have expertise in that area, so a friend of mine came over and started helping me replace a bunch of pipes. The project got out of hand, as home projects usually do, and suddenly it was like 2 a.m., beyond 2 a.m., just wrapping up this project, but my buddy stayed there the whole time by my side, actually doing most of the work because it was out of my depth. And I remember feeling incredibly grateful, but at the same time, very awkward. Like, this is embarrassing receiving this kind of care, this kind of service, that someone would stay up into the wee hours of the night just to help me. That's got to be what, a little bit like what the disciples are feeling here. And isn't it true that sometimes it's hard for us to accept help? It's hard for us to receive from somebody else because we don't want to be the one in debt. We don't want to be the one indebted to somebody else. We want to be the ones in control. And this is where we find the disciples, and typically in in classic Peter fashion, Peter's the one that kind of raises his hand, steps in, and and, and, and puts, a, puts a stop to it. Look at verse 6 is where we'll start, we'll start. He came, Jesus, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. The whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. Peter can't take it. The, the awkwardness is too much. He, he, he steps in. He, he, he chimes in. He says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? This isn't the behavior of a king. Let me tell you something, Jesus. This isn't how the king behaves. This isn't how the anointed one uh, acts. Kings conquer. They don't suffer and serve. They're not humiliated by this base kind of menial, lowly service. And Jesus corrects gently but clearly and encourages Peter to submit to the cleaning that only he can do. Peter swings from no to, okay, well, wash my my hands and my head as well. Both of Peter's responses are, uh, they're understandable. They make sense why Peter would respond that way, but they're both flawed. The first one, he says, no. The second response, he says, well, do it this way. See, when we encounter Jesus, we encounter his service on his terms. We see Jesus, uh, we see that uh, Peter is, is still trying to control. He's still trying to negotiate the terms of service here. He's still trying to say, hey, this is, you're doing it this way, but that's not how it's done. You've got to do it like this. 
And Peter is only seeing what's right in front of him. He's missing the big picture. He doesn't quite fully understand what's going on. Because Jesus is, is, is not only doing something practically for the disciples. He's not only serving as an example. He's giving a picture of what's to come. Jesus speaks on a spiritual level. He's telling his disciples that they're clean. Those that have believed on him, they don't need to take another bath. They don't need anything additional. That act doesn't need to be repeated. But he's also saying, you're going to need to surrender. You're going to need to you're going to need to submit to me. You're going to need to lean into me constantly and consistently as you live this life out if you want to have a part with me because life gets messy. We're going to run into stuff that, uh, that challenges us. We're going to run into stuff that doesn't quite make sense, that we don't fully understand. And Jesus is say, saying, in those moments, I am still going to be intimately involved. I have to be in your life. You've got to receive what I'm giving in the way that I'm giving it. These are the terms of service. So let's, let's keep going. Verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus asked two questions. He starts off with, do you understand what I've done? And I, I picture the disciples just blank stares. Uh, this is really awkward still. I mean, yeah, you just washed our feet. This makes no sense. I don't picture any of them saying a thing. Then there's another question. Do you understand who I am? I think that the disciples thought they understand who, understood who Jesus was. I think they, 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 they kind of got it. But not the full extent of his love, not, love, not the full extent of who he was. Because he was coming there and showing them, I'm not here to take power but to lose it. I'm not here to rule but to serve. And this is how I'm going to overcome the enemy. And I don't know if you noticed or not, but uh, there's kind of been some hints that the enemy is working in the background so far. That, that, that Satan is working on Judas's heart already. He's operative. But Jesus is saying, this is how we're going to win. This is how we're going to triumph. This is how we're going to get victory. It looks like a loss, but it's going to end with triumph. So the disciples are seeing it. They're kind of experiencing what this lowly service feels like, what, what it feels like to receive from Jesus in this way. But I don't think they're fully understanding it yet. 
This principle that the greatest of all time is the servant of all people. You can remember it this way. The goat is the soap. The greatest of all time is the servant of all people. So if you remember nothing else from what I say this morning, you can at least take that with you. Take a little snapshot in your mind. The goat is the soap. The greatest of all time is the servant of all people. No act of humble service is beneath you if the one above you has already done it. How this works in my family is when I ask my boys to take out the garbage, they usually do it without much of a fight because they've seen me do it. They've seen dad take out the garbage, so the the thought has to cross their mind, well, if dad's going to do it, I have no excuse. I got to take out the garbage too. If we see Jesus humbling himself to serve, we should too. In Mr. Rogers' classic response to crisis and war, he encourages us to look for the helpers. Look for the people that are running towards the crisis. Look for the people that are running towards the situations that are bad, where people need help. Look for the people that are running to help instead of running away. Look for those who are leveraging their power, who are leveraging their influence, what they have for the sake of helping someone else. Look for the helpers, and that's where you're going to find hope. I would push it further today and say, let's be the helpers. Let's be the servants who show up with a towel in hand or with our toilet brush, our toilet scrubber, and are there to help to do what we can. True greatness, I would say, is about spending ourselves, using ourselves for the best interests of someone else. Because we've received already what we need from Jesus. Until we receive, until we receive sacrificial service from our king and allow him to meet our needs, the power, the prestige, the position are gonna be too tempting. We're gonna default to looking out for ourselves, to making sure that we hold on and preserve those things, or that we gain those things for ourselves. It's not until we receive from Jesus that we're freed from that temptation to go after those things for ourselves because we've already been given them. What we know of George Washington, is that he took his cues from Jesus. He was a devout follower. There are stories of him being interrupted in the morning uh, during his quiet time and prayer. He allowed his relationship with Jesus to impact actual decisions that he was making, actual choices that he was making in the way that he led, in the way that he served, And at the peak of his military career, instead of consolidating power, instead of 
grasping on to the power that he had, making sure that he held on to it, he set it aside. He said, no, I, I, I refuse to be named King George I of America. Why? Because he understood this principle that the greatest of all is the servant of all, and he held on to a vision that was way beyond himself. For what the United States could become, what they could be. George Washington was not perfect. Please don't hear me saying that he was a perfect man, but I think he was a great man. Because he gave us an example of leveraging power and influence for the sake of something well beyond himself. Now, most of us are not on the level with George Washington. We're not even in the realm of being uh, on the level of greatness with Jesus. But we all can be great. Because of the power and authority of Jesus that is active and present and working in our lives. Because of Jesus and the security and worth that we find in his love. The full extent of his love, verse 1. If we receive that, then we're free to humbly serve in great ways with lasting impact. Now, at this point, we need to avoid the temptation to just say, amen, now what's for lunch? This, this involves action. This involves a real active response from us all. So here's a, here's a couple questions that I want to ask as we, as we close up. I want you to, uh, us to ask ourselves, what are my terms of service? What, what are my terms? What am, I, what am I kind of resisting when it comes to receiving from Jesus and as a result, giving? What are the terms that I've kind of set up that I'm living by that might be keeping me from doing what I'm called to be doing? What might be leading me to say, uh, it's too much, that's too much, that's too far for me to receive? Or, oh, that's too beneath me to, to stoop to that level. And then what towel or what toilet brush can we pick up? What power and influence can we leverage for the sake of someone else? Imagine our homes and our schools, classrooms and churches full of people looking out for the best interests of others. Totally and completely secure in the Father's love. Just imagine the collective greatness displayed, losing to triumph, laying down to lift up, leveraging power to empower. Each of us with a towel in hand, servants of the servants, and seeing the kingdom expanding in God's boundless love, our Heavenly Father's boundless love. These are what lead to the greater works. These are what lead to true 
greatness. So how will you leverage the power and influence you have? How will we collectively leverage the power and influence that we have? Let's pray. Lord God, thanks so much for the opportunity to be able to jump into your word this morning. For the chance to kind of put ourselves right there with the disciples to resonate with the awkwardness of receiving the full extent of your love, just a, a taste of your love in the way that you humbly served us, but then the full extent of your love revealed on the cross as you gave up your life so that we could have life. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for the example you've given us, but also the very practical, concrete work that you've done that sets us free. That takes all the pressure off of us to grab onto power and prestige and position, hold onto that and preserve that for ourselves, but to let go of that and to be free to love in the way that you love, to serve in the way that you served. God, I pray that we would not be able to leave here unchanged by your word, unchanged by your spirit, active, moving, and present in our lives, in this place. God, do your work. Do what only you can. Let us receive that and let us turn that around and leverage that for the sake of those around us and those that will come after us. God, thank you for being intimately involved with our lives, for leading us and guiding us, speaking to our hearts and minds even now. God, help us to go out into this world to serve in whatever way you continue to lead us. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name.